In Conversation is a podcast series by the Swedish Chamber of Commerce where we pair up two seemingly different members of our network to explore what unites them. This time we brought together Lena Björk, Managing Director of Alexander & Björk and Dag Virdenius, Head of Expansion at BuildSafe to discuss business culture and what it's like to run a business in the UK. My name is Lena. I um, obviously come from Sweden. I've been in London um, for about 23 years altogether. And I've started two different, well, two different businesses doing the same thing. But 22 years ago when I started the first company, it was very basic. I had no money. I couldn't cook. Mm. I had no computer. I had literally nothing to make this business successful. <laughs> now I've started, I built a reputation uh, for... Um, 18 years with that company, sold oh, wow. the company, but then I've started a new company doing the same thing, but obviously with more experience, track record, but also with investors. So it's quite interesting to um, compare two the different difference, businesses. Yeah. Yeah. The difference, yeah. And who are normally like your clients? So um, I do event catering yeah. and at the very, very top end, basically. So I just um, said that this morning is actually seven years ago that I catered for the Queen's Diamond Jubilee lunch for all of the head of states of the Commonwealth. It was my first question I had to you when I read about your bio. I was like, I wonder if you served the Queen once. <laughs> More than once. So you have, wow. That's Today, really cool. seven years ago, since I did the Diamond Jubilee oh, lunch. Oh, wow, that's yeah. impressive. Um, work with a lot of high profile, a lot of um, kings, queens, um, presidents. I My first business, I only had that up and running for about a year, I literally couldn't cook. And I won the contract to cater for Bill Clinton when he came to London. Oh, wow. He had a press, press conference in 1996 with Tony Blair before Blair was prime minister. And I was asked to pitch for this job. I had didn't have a computer at the time, so I had to fax a handwritten proposal to the White House. And I actually won the job. <laughs> so that's <laughs> the difference. And how come that? Have you always been sort of high end or... Like, was that something that came naturally for you or? Came naturally. Okay. I mean, when I started this catering business, I actually worked as a breakfast supervisor in this country. I had okay. no education, really. Yeah. And I, when I came here, I thought the service was appalling. I didn't feel like people were in the service industry because I actually liked serving people. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there's still an element of that. But 22 years ago that, you know, it really was appalling. And that is what made me want to start a business. And yeah. I just said, surely I can do this better. But I didn't have a pan in my pocket. I didn't have a computer I read menus on. I didn't have a car to deliver food on. I really knew nobody in London and I couldn't cook. So I actually started by delivering food on the tube because I couldn't afford to take a taxi even. I love that. Very entrepreneurial. Yeah. Very entrepreneurial. And because I always feel like service here is not as good as, I mean, maybe in Sweden, for example, since we're both from Sweden. Yeah. I think one of the reasons, because I have a lot of friends when they came here after, you know, after Swedish gymnasium A-levels, they, you know, they start working at, you know, a clothing shop or retail or yeah. a cafe. But it's just because the turnover of people is so high. So you go in and you say, well, I need a job, but you never look long term. You're like, yeah, I just need it for a couple of months and then I will do something else. Yeah. Uh, so is that a problem for you when you try to find people that you want to work with? Yeah. Like employees? Absolutely. But I mean, I think... I've managed to build really strong relationship with people that works for me because yeah. it's also it's how you treat the people. Yeah. Um, of course, hospitality, people come and go, come and go, come and go. And it's very easy to you know lose people. And that's a huge cost, yeah. just recruiting. Um, and I have people that has worked for me. I mean, my head, current head of events has worked for me for nine years from my former company. Oh, wow. So uh, how many people do you like 
employ on a full-time basis and then how many people do you have like just on a temporary for just the events so i mean now i have full uh, five full-time employees yep. and the, the rest are freelancers but the freelancers are also working pretty much on full-time basis oh, okay but then we come into the june and july for example we do i you know i take about 50 staff over to paris to do the paris air show oh. for 10 days so it's very dependent on what events we do yeah and how many so two questions how many events do you do per year and what countries do you do events in can you do co- events everywhere wherever the client wants to take us and pay for us we'll oh, okay. <laughs> we've been as far as india doing oh, an incredible wow. wedding we've done events in sweden we've done quite a lot in in france mm-hmm. we've done the paris air show actually biannually for the past 16 years oh wow and what's the biggest difference like doing an event in India, for example, compared to UK, I mean, it must be a huge After difference. After nightmare, you know, you never do it again. There's no health and safety. There's no. It's just crazy. But you know, I mean, yeah. you just have to. Yeah, make and it in work. the end, yeah, if it's a good client, then yeah. obviously listen, always listen to the client yeah. and just fulfill fulfill that person's needs. Yeah. And do you do? Is it do you do it for companies mainly, or is it like high net worth individuals as well? Uh, it's both really so it's the very top end we work majority really i say 70 percent of our clients are um plc companies but at board level yeah okay so when the big companies when the board entertains their top clients that's really when they come to us and there's sort of it needs to be done properly yeah and they have huge expectations um but that's kind of what we excel at yeah we work in the unique venues of london so the, the museums, V&A, British Museum, um, Westminster Abbey, these wow. places where, you know, huge um, respect for the buildings. You literally have, I mean, people are visiting the museum. We have access pretty much at six o'clock. We roll in kitchens, tables, chairs, flowers, everything, staffing. We set up, we have an hour and 15 minutes before the yeah. guest arrives. Oh, Swanning in for um, beautiful chilled champagne and canapes. Like a logistic nightmare in my ears. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. But and like when, how did you manage to grow the business? Because obviously for me, so I introduced myself. I've been here in London, same same time as you, but minus twenty years. I've only been here for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, worked with BuildSafe. It's a construction sort of we're a collaboration platform for construction projects. Um, some people say, well, it's like you know a snapshot for health and safety on a construction site. So what we want to do is we've created an app and a digital platform. So on a construction site, only large sites. So not if you're renovating your house, for example. So Skanska and these companies. Yes. So Skanska is uh, one of actually one of our main clients in okay. Sweden. They have they're using builds from every single site in Sweden, right. for example. Okay. And here will be the Kier and the Balfour Beatis, HS2 and Crossroads and so on. Yeah. So what they're doing is, uh, you know, you'll have a developer and a main contractor. You have different subcontractors, and all of them are working in parallel, doing different things. All of them are in charge of their own health and safety normally and inspections. Yeah. All of these inspections, it can be 50 to 200 a month that are being done by different people, different companies, all being sent upwards to the main contractor in different formats, you know, Excel spreadsheets, pen and paper, different apps. Uh, it's a nightmare. So that main contractor, they will have project managers or site manager sitting, compiling these reports and trying to analyze what is going on exactly on site because you know we need to have metrics what we are doing is putting a fishnet around the whole project organization and say well if everyone starts communicating in one channel instead and in one platform then you will be able to see exactly what's going on on site so the whole idea is you walk around with doing a health and safety inspection you see something that is not good with the scaffolding for example 
then you know, I take a picture of it and I say, okay, who is responsible to fixing this? Oh, Lena, because she works at scaffolding company A. When do you need to fix it? Yeah, you need to fix it tomorrow. And then I just click send and that goes straight to you. So I can then sit at the head office and see what exactly is going on on my sites and who is responsible for fixing it. So we want to capture risks before they become a danger for all the workers. So the whole idea is to increase efficiency and productivity by closing out risks, but also, of course, in the end, to sort of make them more safe. And, and reduce costs, probably. Yeah, exactly. And save time. Yeah. Um, so that's what we're doing. Uh, and right now we're in sort of that. So I yeah, started one year ago and the first few months was really sort of like, what's the differences between the Swedish construction market and the UK construction market? Um, you would like to think it's similar, but it's completely different. And, and I mean, culture, we'll go into culture and stuff yeah. like that later in sales culture. But right now, so it took us a while for to sort of establish that and who we should sell to and how. But we are there now. So now we are just in that sort of expansion phase where we're just signing clients um, and really trying to grow. But how did you how did you grow your business? Like when you got your first client, like I guess in events, it must be like, you know, word by word or like how, yeah. how did you grow it and what was sort of the key what was the key factor to your success when did you personal, see the boom per, personal relationship without a shadow of a doubt so my, I mean when I decided to start this business I came to the Swedish Chamber of Commerce sounds like I'm plugging yeah. plugging the chamber but <laughs> no, actually we did the same thing <laughs> well the fact is I remember because I had no income I had no money and I remember that the membership was like, I don't know, 230 pounds. And I was convinced by Elizabeth Baldwin that this is the best money that I've ever spent. <laughs> and I had to work extra for weeks in yeah. restaurants to yeah. make money to pay for this. But ultimately, without the Swedish Chamber of Commerce, I probably wouldn't have been able to start this business oh, because wow. I then contacted all the Swedish companies, Swede Bank and Handels Bank in the first two. Yeah, I literally wrote to them. PA to the managing director and I was completely honest as I was starting this little company I have no references please just try me yeah which they did um, and my first event was a breakfast for four people at you know for Swedbank I had to deliver the food on the do tube. you remember what you served yes you know scrambled eggs and smoked salmon yeah. super basic <laughs> and what I did was I always targeted the uh, top man in the companies yeah there's no question over the fact that I used the fact that I was a female mm-hmm. um, and I honestly just asked them to try me, basically. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't about my food because I actually couldn't cook the food. I mean, looking back and talking to people who used me at the time, the food was pretty appalling. Yeah. But I was so enthusiastic and I was so keen on service and making sure that everybody was happy. And, you know, I had that front end of the service level. Yeah. So actually, the main product didn't really matter. Yeah. And so... You know, the prime example, the Bill Clinton event. Again, I'm running around, you know, I've sent a proposal by fax, handwritten, charged whatever I thought I should be charging. I was up against an, a company offered to do this event free of charge and American Embassy's own in-house, established in-house caterers. Yeah. I won it. Oh, wow. After this event, I mean, it was all pretty a shambles. I had to go to Ikea and buy like the cheapest coffee cups off the sale shelf, little purple cups with... <laughs> The base wasn't even level at the bottom, but that's all. I didn't even know at the time you could hire in things like yeah. this. So I'm running around in a freely apron. But anyway, I have a letter after this event set from the White House with the picture with Bill Clinton saying that this was the best food the White House has ever had on a foreign trip. Oh, wow. Now, 
that set that the stampers for yeah. my uh, the, the future growth of the company and i realized that people are not buying a product you aren't just buying a service you buy an experience and is that going beyond in terms yeah. of service and that is what has set us apart from our competitors and um, of course the reference of the White House, I've utilized that. Yeah, and of that, of course, has given me, opened me doors. Yeah. But it's also, expect, expectations has also been higher. Yeah. And um, it's really word of mouth recommendations that, that we've grown. I've never, I mean, I've never put a pound on advertising, ever. Uh, and always wow. had a policy of that. I have utilized marketing, my marketing skills, and they've come and come naturally, I think. It's this thing, like, it's so simple, really, to build relationships. Yeah. Just asking somebody and generally being interested in your client's family. Yeah. What do they like? What hobbies do they like? And it's like, if I'm on holiday and I see a beautiful horse and I know one of my clients are really into horses, I take a picture and snap it. I just thought of you. Yeah. But I do that because I... So it's very, like it's that. very personal. Very personal. And, yeah. and clients that come to us never leaves us. So it's like no churn. Yeah. It's very impressive. And we also, <laughs> I mean, now, of course, I have fantastic food and yeah. I have a fantastic team. But I mean, at the time when I didn't have great food, it shows that you can still grow a business by not having the best product as long as you deliver that great service, an honest service. If something goes wrong, put your hands up. And be honest and how do we fix it yeah. rather than brush it under the carpet and blame it on other people sort of thing and i guess london is the place to be when it comes to like high end of course yeah they've got the budget here and is it also because i'm thinking i mean we we work a lot on sort of like people rec- like companies recommending other companies and yeah. in construction people leave projects quite often it's a high turnover because especially in london there's so many prestige projects so for example battersea power station yeah People are leaving their current jobs just to work at Battersea Power Station. They don't care what company they work for, yeah. but they want to work for the Battersea Power Station to have that project on the resume. Yeah. So, you know, if we, and that's, I think that's why BuildSafe is very sticky. They, once they have started using it, you can't go back to pen and paper in Excel because you know, it's, it's going back 15 years in time. But is it a lot, since you're so high end, do you feel like, oh, but my, like group of clients, they sort of know each other already. So course, they would recommend. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a little duck every, pond. <laughs> every massive dinner, you know, the same guests. It's the same, yeah. All right, who's coming today then? Oh, uh, okay, it is like that. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. Okay. And they're like, you know, you do massive dinner. I did, we did a big, you know, super CEO, top client dinner for 200 people at British Museum two weeks ago for a big PLC company. And, you know, it's always interesting getting that guest list beforehand because I'd be like, Half my friends are there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess if you've been doing it for so long, you yeah. start getting to know them. Yeah, and also that's now. I mean, still, of course, I have very high profile clients, and I have a you know fantastic business. But I mean, you still need to grow. You still need to do sales. You need to keep yeah. everything going. Um, but I've always really asked my existing clients for referrals and help, and really gotten them to do that because if you ask people for for that, they're so happy to help. Yeah. Yeah, you just need to be straightforward. Yeah, totally. But I think, do you ever feel, because um, we were talking a little bit earlier about we were getting into culture and talking about like sales and meeting people here and maybe have, you know, a first sort of sales meeting with someone. Um, I guess we have very different sales meetings, you and I, yeah. uh, I can imagine. But do you ever feel if you would compare, you know, the sort of the Swedish mentality, we are very, very transparent, very 
honest. Yeah. We're polite, but we're still very frank. It's like, well, if I don't want to do this, I'll say no. Yeah. We find it, I mean, very annoying uh, that here you can go into a sales meeting and someone will say, oh, yeah, yeah. we're 99.9% sure that we will start using this within a week. And then you never hear from them again because that 99.9% means basically, you know, we are not interested at all, but we are just very polite. But also that person who you talk to, there's so many levels of managers. Yeah. So that person who you speak to might be 99% sure yeah, that they exactly. want to use you. Yeah, exactly. But then they're passing the they buck to, to somebody else yeah. who has got completely different interests. Yeah. So that is one of the things that actually that's one of the first questions I always ask when I go into sales meetings like what's your decision making process yeah so you actually know and do you feel because we we really try to do it as well and i mean we since we sell to very large client and you know it's sometimes we go to the project and sometimes we go to the company and who do you who's your who's the person you're pitching to very then? good question okay. uh well it depends so we are we started off and like build safe it sounds very health and safety driven yeah we started the company um one of our founders used to run a construction company and he started seeing this like wow it's so difficult to communicate on site you know i get 10 whatsapp pictures every day and then you know i need to follow up with everyone and the data is not captured and there was a lot of sort of everything from health and safety but also small little things but why so we set together a consortium uh, together with skanska um royal institute of technology in stockholm um and sort of shadowing a lot of workers that do a lot of inspection and health and safety is very inspection driven. So that's why we started with health and safety. But actually, when people start using it for health and safety, they realized we can put any type of checklist, like general checklist, you know, look at the cranes every day, for example, we can just do that and build safe. So the first person we normally go and sell to is the health and safety, okay. because they are, you know, if we come and say, you know, do you want to make your projects more safe and more efficient yeah they're gonna say I mean, yes i mean you would be stupid if you if yeah. you didn't say yes uh so it's very easy for us to get that first meeting with health and safety but health and safety is normally not the budget holders and that's the tricky part the health and safety they unfortunately in construction you know small margins yeah. uh very sort of labor intense you know you just need to like deadlines 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 um so the problem is when we go into health and safety they're always very keen but they are seen as a cost in the company. Yeah. Unfortunately, they're seen yeah. as police and like, oh, you know, they're just blaming fingers. They're literally just delaying us, which is horrible. I think there might be a change um, in the mindset of people, but it's still very difficult. They're seen as a little separate entity. So if health and safety come and say, oh, we have this new digital tool and it's XX pounds per year, it's very difficult. So we need to pitch health and safety, but then involve you know, the construction directors or the managing director for little smaller companies. So we go very finance high Finance director up. to see the savings. Yeah, hopefully not. Uh, we try to avoid finance directors. Oh, you do? Okay. Uh, because the moment finance director comes in, they are perfect when we have they, when they've used Builds for a year because then we can show the tangible results. But if a finance director comes in straight away, they just say, well, this is tech and, you know, this is an overhead cost. But we say, no, you need to look at the savings yeah. first and before you take a decision. And in order to do that, you need to start using us because it's user generated data. Yeah. So if you don't get any data in, you won't get any data out and then you don't have a business case. Yeah. So and that's where we are right now. We yeah. are signing pilots. Uh, 
So we go in and say, okay, give us, like you did in the beginning, just give it a go. Give us three months to prove our concept and build you an internal business case with tangible results. And then we take a discussion, you know, after two and a half months, we take a discussion if you want to roll it out on several projects. Would you use Scans as a showcase? Yeah, unfortunately, that's also very, very tricky here in the UK. When we launched, we thought, you know, we have, you know, we have eleven thousand users in the app. We have nine hundred projects in uh, in the app, or something like that. So it's it's a fairly big big app, and we're very successful in Sweden. And we have great business case, a lot of tangible results. But when we came to the UK, and we said, well, Skanska in Sweden, you know, massive company. They're like, oh, okay, but that's Sweden. Why is Skanska UK not using it? It's like, well, we haven't even approached them yet. We just launched here. And they say, well, come back when you have a business case. So it's really? a little bit, yeah, it's like getting your first job. It's like, well, yeah. you don't have any experience. Yeah. Come back when you have experience. I'm here to get the experience. So now we have finally managed to sign some frame agreements. We're building those business cases and it's, it's black and white. When you have a UK business case in construction, then they're like, okay, you're trustworthy. And that was also why we really, why I think we really had to set up a registered office here, because if we sell from Sweden, it's and not we say, work. yeah, no, it's not going to work. So, um, do you find the uh, business environment is much more conservative here than it is in Sweden? Um, yes, since I've only been here for three years. Um, before in Sweden, I was in commercial real estate, um, and it was, you know. It was a fairly big, big real estate owner I worked for. Um, so the business meetings were quite conservative and quite sort of you know, stiff, uh, so to say. But when we came into construction here, I realized that was nothing. Because here, oh yeah, it's very conservative. It's still a lot of hierarchy. And it's so much about you know, fear of losing your job. And I've never seen that in Sweden because obviously we have, you know, laws and everything and laws and regulation, you know, making sure that you can't lose your job. But when we actually go in and pitch build safe for the people who are going to use it, some of them get scared for losing their jobs because they're like, well, what am I going to do? If you save me nine hours a day, they won't what, me. Yeah, they're like, what, what, what am I going to do? You can literally so- sack half of my team because we'll make these processes more efficient. And that's obviously not our goal. Yeah. But that's how companies look at it here. And that's not how people look at it in Sweden. Um, we try to say, well, if we are saving you eight hours a day of admin, you can, you know, you can spend those eight hours a day doing more efficient stuff. You can yeah. be out on the site, making sure everything's running smoothly. Yeah. And you can maybe even deliver a project before a deadline. And you can use this to win more work and future work winners. Yeah. But yeah, so I would say, yeah, it is more conservative. Uh, and in many ways, it's just it's a little bit more harsh. Um, and people are not as sort of open and transparent. A lot of a lot of clients say, well, is this going to be like subcontractors will say, if we're using BuildSafe, will the main contractor and our client see exactly what's going on and what we're doing? We're like, yeah, that's the whole idea. Highlight you know, it's better better to see, you know, the ugly truth rather than the pretty little lies because it's for everyone's safety. And in the end, everyone wants the same thing. We want to deliver on time, we want to make money and we want to make everyone happy. Yeah. But here in the UK, people are so scared of, oh, but if the clients see that, you know, we had a untidy work site one day, they might not use us again. And we say, well, 
make sure you don't have an untidy worksite instead and capture it and show them that you're resolving it very quickly. So that's the driving measure we're trying to get. Solve things quicker than you used to and not, you know, be brave enough to show that everyone is not perfect, but you want to, you want, you want to learn by mistake and go into the next project being even better. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's, uh, it's very, but it's a very, very weird uh, industry to go into because you know, selling digital tools to an industry that is so far behind yeah. uh, in tech. Yeah, it's very challenging, but very fun. And I guess these days, but it's all about social media. Yeah. Can you utilize social media for, to marketing your product, make it look sexy and fabulous? Uh, I mean, it, that's food. It, it's yeah. very, food and events, that's very easy. I was it's just going to say. all about that. Yeah, no, we can't treat. I mean, <laughs> a construction crane, you know, as sexy I want to tell you it is. Now, I always say... Um, I mean, no, I mean, I, and I love Bills and the product is very sexy when you start using it. And yeah. The look is great. And we're a very young, young and hip company. But every time I go into a dinner with people I don't know, and this, like, I normally dress in leather jackets and like a lot of, <laughs> lot of funky clothes. When I go in and say, yeah, I work uh, in construction, health and safety technology. You're like, what? what? Sounds so unsexy. Uh, but then when we explain, no, 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 it's more technology and process improvement, then it gets a little bit more fun. But. We use LinkedIn a lot. Um, that works very well. Um, obviously, like newsletters and those type of things. I think we have an Instagram, but it's mainly for our friends who wants to see us grow. Um, so no, we can't really use social media. We use Facebook as well, but okay. not for it's not for winning clients. It's yeah. more to just get the sort of brand awareness out. Yeah. So it's a lot of here for me in the UK, LinkedIn events, networking. Like yeah. that's all it is, and go out to construction site, give business cards out. Um, so yeah, we travel around the country every week to sort of like go to go to conferences and just see different people. Yeah. And it was, it's like you, when, when you get into the construction industry, everyone knows everyone. Yeah. Everyone knows everyone. So you start, if you go to a health and safety event up in Liverpool, it will be the same people in London. Uh, it's, and once you get to know the big fishes in the pond, they will start recommending you. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to see as many sort of important stakeholders as possible. Um, but so do you, I guess you use Instagram and Facebook and... I mean, it, for us now, it's all about Instagram, really. I mean, we have Facebook, but I mean, it's for just to showcase what we do. Because, yep. you know, of course keeping people abreast of what we're doing and you know making people excited of of the events and the possibilities that you know it's a free way of marketing of course but are your clients on i mean i I mean the queen is obviously not on instagram i think but are your like are your clients on instagram they they are do they do follow us actually Mm. and we encourage them to follow us on instagram and actually ask them to sign up to a you know long yeah. to them because that's how they will follow what we do mm. so a lot of them do and um a lot of our venue clients is the venues you see so yeah. of course you become accredited in these historical royal palaces and unique venues museums and whatever of course like the vna british museum you have events there every single night so they have an approved supplies list of 10 catering companies that the clients that comes there has to use yeah so it's also about marketing your current venues yeah. and making sure that, you know, you... And you keep them up to date and with... Yeah, absolutely. With what's so I think, I mean, for the event world, it, it, Instagram is huge yeah. at the moment. And of course, it gives you a whole new percep- perception of what the company does. 
by seeing it every single day. Yeah, the newsletter that goes out once a month or months, once every two months. It's just not enough. And how often do you post on social media? Uh, every two days. Every two we days. We try to okay. do Monday, Wednesday, um, Friday. So we follow and do you, do you have a marketing? Person I have a marketing um, marketing manager, manager, <laughs> yeah. or whatever. But yeah. I mean, to be honest, yeah. we the ones that are at the event. So I do a lot of the Instagram. My team does a lot of the Instagram. We do yeah. kind of one day each sort of thing. Oh, okay, the store each. But um, yeah, because I think that's the uh, that's the tricky part for a lot with social media is that it becomes such a big machine to handle. Yeah. I think, I mean, we only have, we have our um, chief marketing officer, he's in Sweden. So he takes care of all of our channels and, you know, media stuff. So if we, if, if social media would be important, I mean, it would take so much effort for us. Yeah. And but I guess, I mean, you have content, you can just take a picture at an event. This is it. For Instant. us, that, you know, what will we, we, we can't post anything. Yeah. We don't, we don't really have any, it will be construction sites. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. Look kind of the same every yeah. time. But what and what uh, during your like twenty three years, what are like the biggest sort of pitfalls that you have experienced? And like, could you give? Do you think we're in completely different industries? But I guess that's the whole sort of idea with this podcast. What what would you give me as advice when we are you know we've been up and running for one year? And what do you think like you can teach me like based on your experience here in the UK? I mean, I, for me, it's absolutely that extra service level. Yeah. Because I feel like England is behind Sweden's development in terms of how they run businesses and yeah. just business in general. And they don't have that extra unique, you know, flat level dynamic management, yeah. I think. And I think that's kind of what sets us about transparency. Yeah. I think that's hugely important. Actually put your hands up and say, you know what? This has just happened. This is how we're going to fix it. But at least they know about it and not try to sort of, you know, brush that all under the carpet. Yeah, because if they find the find the problem They'll later... They'll never trust you again. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And do you, uh, do you sell that you're Swedish? Like, do you use that as in your brand? Still, after 23 years? Of course. <laughs> yeah. Of course I sell the fact that I'm female. I mean, for example, like... The events world is very male dominated. Yeah. So even when I started the business, you know, I'm a female and of course that set me apart and I've utilized that. Yeah. Um, and kind of marketed that sort of thing. But I mean, now as it happens, my new company, we're pretty much all, all female. And I've just hired a new executive chef starting in September, a really dynamic female chef. So we're going to be like, majority female and now i haven't hired these people because they're female no. <laughs> i've hired them because they're the best yeah we just happen to be female so again that sets us apart maybe in your industry which is probably male dominated oh you think <laughs> yeah a little I, bit i would unfortunately probably no. not replace you with a female no. but i mean i maybe try to bring in more women because oh, i mean that's what this we are, you know yeah. this is what we're all about now yeah and s- set you apart because that'll make health and safety sexy yeah you know no, but trust sex me, we, sells yeah i mean and yeah and women's are i mean it is the better, better sex let's just be honest I mean, we, the, the <laughs> fact is we, we are multitaskers yeah and, you know, I think that when you get good women, they're fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not somebody who's like all, for, you know, a red stock or all for women. But I mean, I'm all for really good, good staff, yeah. good people and delivering. Yeah. And I mean, the and sort of the because we, we, we are really trying. We, we have um, and even 
like in tech is obviously that is there's a lot of 50 50 you know yeah. uh, but just construction tech in the background we get it's we attract so many more so many more men uh, which is a shame because here we are now four people uh, here in the UK uh, fully employed and I mean I think our team would benefit so much to get at least one one woman it would be um yeah i think that would change everything because there's another perspective on things as well yeah uh, and i think especially to go into sort of a very like construction i say very male dominant it's ridiculous like i think in one year i think i've met in big meetings maybe three three women uh, in a year or something like that on sort of the high level um, and sort of director levels in construction companies but then sending in a girl selling tech i mean then it, it looks more modern straight away so you should you should invest in some sort of an apprenticeship scheme within what you do that's should, what i would do yeah it's just that a lot of people are not interested i think that's the problem <laughs> <laughs> and then it also again it comes back to you know we need to hire the best one mm. um no matter if it's a man or uh, yeah, if it's exactly, a man exactly exactly yeah. Takeaways from the conversation for me is um, a that Swedish culture is like you can use it to sell yeah. uh, no matter what you're selling. You know, Lena is, Lena is in events. I'm in construction. But we're both sort of using the Swedish culture of transparency and friendly and openness, which I I love that we can do. Uh, v- proud of being Swedish. Um, love that you can use it in the UK. Yeah. Uh, and also that here in the UK, personal relationships are very important. And that's something, you know, I live in a digital world uh, with digital people and we are all for, you know, online meetings and not seeing clients to reduce traveling, A, for the environment and B, just for efficiency. But I see it more and more here. It doesn't work. You need to have that personal relationship with people. And I mean, that's how you built your business, Lena. Yeah. You yeah. you met people and they spread the world. And I think it's... Pick this... up the phone, not just email. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's... A lot of people say, well, now you can just email nowadays. No, it's because people are getting lazy. People still like getting a phone call and get yeah. that sort of human reaction. Um, so yeah, I think those are my two key takeaways. And I think that's what we can be even better on. We are very young people in my company. And we are very digital. Uh, we are. We tend to go to email before calling. Um, a lot of us, at least. So I think that's something. In order for us to really grow and expand here, we need to be better to just come out and meet people face to face. I agree with everything you say, and also what I feel though is obviously we're coming into you know just the B word. Everybody's a bit worried about you know what's going to happen with London. You mm-hmm. know, every, is every company relocating or whatever? But I just feel like. We just have so many opportunities yeah. in London to make build amazing businesses and yeah, you know, utilize the skills and the sort of backbone of the upbringings we have from Sweden to show that we're better. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, yeah, when you're in central London, you're standing in a like standing in a bag of gold, basically. Yeah, which is uh, one last question: has, has Brexit affected you at all, like your business? Well, I mean, has it? I mean, I've started a new company three and a half years ago when the, the business, you know, the climate should have been the worst for luxury yeah. events. Yeah. And I've just started a business from nothing and just built it into like the top, you know, luxury companies against all odds, I yeah. guess. Yeah. 
when you shouldn't have to. So like, I mean, it's all in your head, I think. I have never looked at the open newspaper in the morning saying like, oh my God, it's all doom and gloom. Actually, I don't read it because I need to go in and, and motivate and build yeah. dynamic teams. Yeah. If you just listen to all the doom and gloom, you become negative. Yeah, yeah exactly. What you need to do is... You just need to look on the bright side. I mean, I can't affect what's going on at the moment. I just need to go in and win business. Yeah, I love that. Just go in positive. Yeah. Always works. Yeah.